Happy Mother's Day. Um, those of you who are young moms, uh, there's two of our great moms. We have a bunch of great moms in this place. There's two of them that if you need any kind of help, that they would be more than willing to talk with you and meet with you. Mom's Day, oh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have my mom with me this morning. She's right over there. Woohoo! You might have heard the word prayer about a bazillion times in those little video, video clips. I, you know, my mom told me um, a number of years ago that her prayer journal was filled with my name. <laughs> Go figure, right? Oh, Mom's Day is a, is a day for celebration, for the gift that moms are to their family. Mom's Mother's Day is also a day of hardship, because sometimes um, moms have their own struggles, or our moms are gone, or maybe you've been trying to be a mom and haven't been successful. So we want to just take today and just celebrate moms. Let me take a moment and pray. Uh, Father, your divine plan, a man and a woman coming together to become one, to raise a family, is an amazing plan. And today, we recognize moms. Thank you for moms. Bless all the mothers. For all those that have a little ache in their heart today because of Mother's Day, whatever it may be, because their mom is gone or not a good relationship with mom or not being able to become a mom, we lift those pains up to you today too. Thank you, Father, for the gift of moms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we started a couple weeks ago a new series called The Power of And, and this new series is part of our journey through 1 Corinthians, and we're hanging out in chapters 11 through 14 right now, and the key verse for me in this section of 11 through 14 is chapter 14, verse 1, which says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The key word for me in this verse is the little conjunction, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the little conjunction and, and that is because for a lot of us, sometimes we get hung up on one or the other in this verse. We're either going to pursue love or we're either going to eagerly desire the things of the Spirit, and Paul is saying yes to both. It's an and. It's not a one or another. It's not after, then, the other. It is and. It is both at the same time. And as you know, in, um, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, in the original Greek, it doesn't really say eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. There is not the word gifts in the verse. It literally says eagerly desire the spiritual. 
And so some translations have eagerly desired the things of the Spirit, which I think helps us because it gives us a broader tone of maybe what Paul is talking about here. We sometimes get hung up on spiritual gifts and that's where we get stuck. And I wonder if it isn't a broader thing. Today we're going to look at chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, and I've entitled today's message, Freedom. Today we're going to talk about freedom. Freedom to give glory to God. Freedom is that moment when whatever restriction has been on your life or over your life or whatever you experience has been lifted from us. Freedom for most of us can mean the freedom to do whatever I want. In fact, that's a pretty common theme within our Western culture. Freedom also can mean freedom from someone else's control over your life or freedom from an addiction, whether that be like a a spending addiction or a gambling addiction or alcohol addiction. And yes, there are freedoms that we experience for the first time as we are growing up and getting older. When you go from a little child where you have to stay by mom or dad all the time, and then the freedom comes when you're with a bunch of people and all of a sudden you can run around a little bit and you don't have to be right by mom and dad's side and then the freedom increases where maybe you can go over to somebody else's house and play and oh what fun that is because mom and dad aren't there and maybe you can even stay over nights and then there's the day you get your driver's license oh yeah baby oh yeah freedom is just hit the door. I'm going to do a little confession today, and this is a story that my mom hasn't even heard, but yeah, right. So I was 16 years old, hadn't had my driver's license too long, and my brother, my older brother, had a 69 Ford Fairlane, and I got a picture of, it's It's not exactly his car, but it was what it looked like back then. It had a big block 428 engine in it. And back then, this is back in the 70s, I'm just dating myself here really quickly, but back in the 70s, you had wide tires on the back and thin tires in the front, and you had these mag rims, and my brother had all of that, and for some reason he let me borrow his car on a Friday night. So I was with one of my friends, Tim, and it was after a football game and we were running around town and we were trying to uh, go someplace and lose one of our other friends on the way. And so I was driving a little bit over speed limit and the guy that was at in town came to a stop sign, and my friend was behind, and I just put the pedal down and turned, and the tires are squealing like everything. Oh, I'm having fun. The back end slid a little bit, and then I see a car, and I go, oh, no. So I let up, and oh, it's not a cop. Good thing. 
put the pedal back down and it squealed a little bit more and off we went. And as I'm flying along, I happen to look by my left as we're going through an intersection and there, sure enough, is a cop. So he, uh, needs to say, lights are on, he's after me. I pulled over right away. Um, he came up to my window, asked for my license and registration, and then he had me come back to his car, and I think he wanted to separate me out from my buddy in the car who was laughing like crazy. And so he sat me in the front seat of the car, and he begins this whole process of doing what a police officer would do to a 16-year-old that looks like deer in, front, in headlights at that moment. He starts giving me the whole ride act of he's going to call my parents, and he says things like juvenile court, and which now I know is all a bunch of hooey, but, you know, he's trying to scare me, and it's working. Trust me. Um, but then at the end, he's like, you know, you know what, I just want you to know that's the, one of the best jobs of over-acceleration I've seen in a long time. Yeah, baby, right? But then he finished up by saying, you know, if I ever catch you again, a couple of, of colorful words, I'll hang you. So I knew that if he ever caught me again, <laughs> that he wouldn't let me off like he's done. I didn't get a ticket. My parents didn't get called. None of that kind of stuff. Um, right? <laughs> Needless to say, uh, driving and freedom was something that really went well with me. And I overused that on a number of occasions. There was another time I was with my friend Paige and my buddy Tim had his car and we were out in the country and we were racing. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> it's Dad's fault. He, he, his foot was always down when I was driving. That's where I learned it from. Sorry, Dad. But we were racing, and we came up to an intersection, and we were side-by-side side on a two-lane road, and we came up to this intersection with a stop sign, and it was a busy highway, and neither one of us were able to stop, and we went flying out on the road. That was one of those times where my freedom and my driving almost, almost caused really terrible things. Sometimes when we experience freedom, we take that freedom to the extreme. We push the boundaries farther than they were intended to be. Last week we began to look a little bit more in depth of verses 2 and 3 in Paul, where Paul talks about Christ as the head of every man, the husband the head of, every, of, the head of his wife, and God is the head of Christ. And what does that mean? And we looked at these three views of authority and source and intimacy or oneness. And I talked about all three have good theology behind them. And sometimes it's hard to understand. But So I wanted to... Uh, just remind us once again that 
all three of those are good, but for me, and when I look at the context of the whole Scripture and how the message of God from the beginning, Genesis to the end, Revelation, is love. And so I can't help but imagine that this picture of head and body has more to do with love and oneness. But as we look at Scripture, we will see that there is more. And before we dive into that, I want us to remember the whole idea of of context. That context is king when you're reading your Bible. And one of the contexts I'm calling today the culture factor. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but in first century is when the Bible was written and the people had an Eastern mindset. We are in the 21st century and we have a Western mindset. They are not the same and so it's important for us when we read Scripture to know that. In ancient Near East and the Greco-Roman world from the time of the Bible, it was a patriarchal society And the characteristic of that time was this, that men had social, legal, legal, and economic power. And women had none. So social power, a woman's social standing was based solely on her husband's. Women weren't educated. I mean, they were taught how to read and write and whatever else they needed to be moms and take care of kids, but they were not educated beyond that. Belief in the household was dependent on what the husband believed. And so whatever religion a man followed, that was what a woman did. Married women wore veils. And just to to clarify, back then it was a veil on top of the head to cover the hair, not like what we see in more Arabic countries today. It was shameful for a married woman to talk to any other man than her husband. In fact, in the Jewish religion and even some pagan religions, women were not allowed to worship with men in the same room. Legally, in the first century, the man owned everything. If a man died, the wife did not receive the estate. The estate went to the firstborn son. If there's not a firstborn son, it would go back to um, either go back to the parents of the husband or would go to a brother of the husband. Daughters didn't inherit anything because they would go and get married and be a part of a different family. In a legal dispute, It took two women to equal the voice of one man. Economically, again, the woman had ownership of nothing. If her husband died or she was divorced, she would become destitute. A woman's primary role was to be a wife and mother and fulfill the purposes of her husband. She was seen as less than a man.
Women in the first century were totally dependent on a man, which made them very vulnerable to exploitation. Now, contrast that with today. A woman's social standing is not based on her husband. It can be a part of, but it's not based on her women. Women are highly educated today. You can, a woman have PhDs in chemistry, business, psychology. We can go on and on. There are women today who have PhDs in theology and biblical Greek and Hebrew studies. Women's belief is not dependent on their husband. A woman can be a follower of Jesus even if her husband is not. Women who are married are not required to wear veils. It's not shameful for a married woman to talk to another man today. And today, men and women worship together in the same room. Legally, men don't own everything. In fact, for most married couples, there's joint ownership in homes and cars and whatever other property. If a husband dies, all of that property goes to the wife. Daughters can get an equal inheritance from their parents. Um, If there's a legal dispute between a man and a woman, they're on the same footing. It's not two to one. It's one to one. Economically, um, again, women own stuff. They can. Women today are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They own their own business. They are doctors and lawyers and whatever else we see them being today. So we're going to, work, we're going to read our text, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. And as we read our text today, I want you to try and do something for me. Try and imagine that you are a first century woman. Okay? Try, try and get into what would it be like if you had no ownership of anything, you were dependent totally on a man, there was all kinds of separation. Trying as best you can to get into that mindset. We're going to start with verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11 and read through verse 16. Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but 
woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Right out of the gate, Paul says this, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass on to you. Right away, we have a question. What do we mean by traditions? Are traditions time-sensitive? Are they meant for first-century Christianity? Or are these traditions for eternity, for at least eternity? the time that man is in existence, before Christ comes again. I mean, this is important for us to to talk about because there are some traditions in this passage we don't follow. We don't require women to wear veils, married women. And there are some men who have long hair. And how long is long? Or some women who have short hair. How short is too short? Lots and lots of questions. As we'll see as we move forward, um, that there are some things that pertain to first century Christianity that don't necessarily pertain to us. But that doesn't mean we haven't got anything to learn here. We've got lots to learn from here. Part of the thing is first century Greek dress for men and women was apparently very similar, except for women would wear a head covering. Paul calls calls this the veil. The normal dress for all Greek women included that veil. The only women who did not wear the veil in that time were high-class mistresses of influential Corinthians. High-class prostitutes. Also, slaves had, would have their heads shaved so that they could be easily recognizable. Men and women slaves. Sometimes, if a woman was caught in adultery, it would mean shaving her head. It has been further suggested that sacred prostitutes from the temple of Aphrodite did not wear veils either. So here we have men and women coming to fellowship, coming together to worship in their regular dress. Men had no head covering and women had a head covering veil. Apparently, in the excitement 
of worship, women, Christian women, would begin to remove their veil and let down their hair, which was against the cultural norm. But think about it with me for a minute. What is happening here? On one hand, women weren't allowed to worship. In the Jewish temple, women were in a different room from men. In many pagan religions, women were in different rooms worshiping. You even notice pictures when you, of today of the Muslim world and when they have a picture of people kneeling down and praying. It's men in a room. The women aren't there. Now, remember, get your first century hat on. Women are in the room praying and prophesying. This is countercultural to first century world. All of a sudden, women were experiencing a freedom and a recognition that they had never experienced before. All of a sudden, there was a sense that when the body of Christ got together and men and women got together in the body of Christ, women were equal. For us, it's not a big deal. We've been doing that our whole life. This is a cultural shift. And as we read anything in the Bible about the relationship between men and women within the church, we have to take cultural context. We have to. We can't just walk past it. I think that what was happening is what happens with any of us when we experience freedom from some kind of control. All of a sudden, these women were there, and they were praying, and they were prophesying with men, bringing glory to God, and all of a sudden, they're just like, I'm going to take this veil off, and I'm just going to let it go. They were experiencing freedom in Christ like they'd never felt before. But we know is this, that freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want. And so with that freedom, there does come some boundaries. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to find out about those boundaries next week. Because we'll look at what Paul says here, because this is important for us to get. It's not freedom to do whatever. This whole part, 11 through 14, is about worship. It's about bringing glory to God. And what is Paul's theme about bringing glory to God? Part of Paul's theme is this. we got to do it in an orderly way. Why? Because when I do worship, 
free willy-nilly, however I want to do, I can cause my brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And when have we heard that before? Um, I think it's chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I got all kinds of freedom. But you know what? I set aside my freedom if it's going to cause my brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And so part of the lesson for us today is this. Being a follower of Jesus, there's a lot of freedom. We have freedom in Christ. So walk in that freedom in Christ. But pay attention, because your focus is not your freedom. That's not the focus. Your focus is God's glory. Eric, (laughs) I should have signaled to you sooner. I'm going to pray while Eric comes up. Um, But yes, next Sunday, 